maybe you are well aware of the fact that uh, last week uh, I wasn't here, and the reason that I wasn't here is because this picture was taking place. This is a picture of my daughter's wedding that was last Saturday. And uh, it was outdoors, and it was spectacular. Uh, the weather was just like today. It was just picture perfect. Uh, the reception was indoors, and that was a lot of fun. It was great to be able to uh, just sit uh, by my wife and, uh, and uh, be next to her and uh, be able to be at that uh, event. And uh, another thing that made it extra special is that not only was my daughter being married to my now uh, son-in-law, uh, but uh, the guy standing there doing the service uh, in the center uh, is my son. And so my son married his sister. <laughs> Which was kind of funny because I married my sister. Uh, but uh, then the, the best part about that was at the end, uh, he said, uh, he said, uh, Katie and Luke, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And he said, and Luke, you may now kiss my sister. And so that was, that was fun too. And uh, so that was uh, just a great time to be away and to be at that. And, and then uh, afterwards, there was a reception. The reception was indoors. And, uh, here's a picture of my daughter and I during the daddy-daughter dance that, uh, uh, that took place uh, at the reception, and, and that was a lot of fun. And um, uh, I tell you what, you know, it was fun to, to just kind of look at uh, the wedding and to be there, and maybe you've been to a, a wedding recently, and you hear the vows that are given out, and you know, to love and to cherish, till death do, do you part, and, and all of those things, and maybe you can remember uh, you know, holding the hand of your uh, sweetheart when you were at your wedding and, and those uh, things uh, come together. That was extra special for me, like I said, to see my son up there and I was proud of him as he was, uh, you know, encouraging Katie and Luke to put Jesus in their life and, and all those things. And uh, it's very emotional. It's a lot of fun. And um, we know that uh, and those things are, are overwhelming and they're exciting, but we also know that sometimes a marriage kind of looks like this picture here, right? Sometimes a wedding can a marriage can kind of look like that, right? And, uh, and those things can go on also. And the reason sometimes a marriage can look like that is because sometimes something like this picture is just true. It's just true. So, there, next picture, guys. There we go. Look at that one. Look carefully at that one. So... Uh, Sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's like that in a marriage, right? Uh, you're both right, you know? And uh, what is, what do you do when you're both right? Sometimes it's like that. So this morning I thought, just in the spirit of where my mind has really been the last couple of weeks, this morning I uh, want to uh, talk about King David and, uh, and uh, learn from him. And uh, he was a guy that uh, could teach us a lot about relationships. But before we do that, I'm going to ask again. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, thank you for uh, the institution of marriage between a husband and a wife. Father, thank you for uh, the things that you've taught us in Scripture. Thank you for the examples that are in Scripture that are before us that we can learn from both positively and negatively. Father, uh, we just ask that you would bless um, all the couples and uh, that they would be strong. Father, I ask a special blessing on uh, Katie and Luke. Uh, I ask a special blessing on my son and and uh, his wife, uh, Tyler and Emily, just that you'd watch over them. And, uh, Father, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. King David, King David. In the Old Testament, you read through First and Second Samuel, you read through First Chronicles, and you learn about King David, and uh, there's a lot of things that uh, King David was. 
King David was a warrior. Uh, King David was a relationship mess. He really was. Uh, King David was a man after God's own heart. He was a uh, literally a bloody fighting machine. Uh, King David uh, was a uh, he was emotional. He was loyal. He was passionate. He was a killer. And uh, maybe, I don't know if you knew this about King David, but uh, when you read through 1st uh, 2nd Samuel, when you read through 1st uh, Chronicles, there are eight different women that are listed uh, that were his wives. And uh, so the guy knew a lot about marriage, right? He had experienced it many, many times in many, many different ways. And, and uh, this morning I want to talk to you about his first marriage, the woman that he was married to uh, first, and her name was uh, uh, Michal, and uh, she was uh, the daughter of a king. And uh, so when we kind of look at the very first marriage that David had when he was married to Michal, we can uh, learn some things and maybe apply some of those things uh, to our life. And you kind of need to understand a little bit of the backstory of who David was. And, and many of us are very familiar with the fact that uh, uh, David was just a shepherd boy and, uh, and then uh, Goliath comes into the scene and uh, uh, Goliath was a Philistine. He was a giant and he was uh, taunting the, uh, the armies of God and the Israelites and uh, they were looking for somebody that would be strong enough to go and fight uh, Goliath. And David shows up and, and he says, I'll take him on. And not because I have strength, but because he's mocking my God. And my God will certainly take him down. And so he gets the slingshot and he takes down Goliath. And uh, then he has uh, become very famous in the nation of Israel. And, and people uh, look to him as a leader. And they weren't necessarily looking so much as at King Saul. Saul was the king, but they were looking at uh, little young David to be a warrior and a leader. And uh, then something uh, very powerful takes place. Uh, Saul has many daughters, and one of his daughters' name is uh, Michal, and she is smitten with David. And so when King David is a young man, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 20, listen to this. Saul's daughter, Michal, had fallen in love with David. And Saul, the king, was delighted when he heard about it. And everybody says, aww, right? It's like, aww, you know? And here they are, this young couple, and they're ready to go and take on the world. And the king is pleased, and all of these things are in place. But, well, the story kind of goes on, and the story changes a little bit because King Saul becomes jealous of David. And you know that, that uh, as uh, David would go into battle, he would always win his battles, and the people knew that he would win his battles, and so the people would come back, and they would uh, they would say that uh, uh, King David, or they would say Saul has won into battle and defeated the thousands, but David went into battle and won and defeated tens of thousands, and, and so he was jealous, and so as Saul's heart started to turn on David, and he, he really wasn't comfortable with who uh, he was anymore, and so um, uh, Saul uh, says, well, uh, uh, David, uh, before I'm going to turn my daughter McCall over to you, there's something that I want you to do in order to win her hand in marriage. David, you know, I'm ready. I'll do whatever you need me to do. He says, what I want you to do, and you can read about it in the book of 1st uh, chapter 18, what I want you to do, uh, David, I want you to go, now listen, the Bible is graphic. 
don't know if you read through the Old Testament at all, but it's graphic. It's so graphic that I'm embarrassed to even tell you the real story of what goes on. So I'm just going to let you read that on your own time. But I'm just going to phrase it like this. Uh, King Saul goes to, to David, young David, says, what I want you to do before I will give you my daughter's hand is I want you to go and I want you to kill 100 Philistines. That's the enemy. So you take, you get together some of your guys and you go kill 100 Philistines and when you come back and you give me proof, you go read what it says to do. When you bring, when you bring me proof of what you, that you've killed 100 Philistines, then I'll give you my daughter. Well, David didn't do that. He didn't go kill 100 Philistines. Uh, he went and killed 200 Philistines and brought back two truth for proof, 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 and, and turned over the proof to Saul. And then Saul's like, okay, you, you, you know, uh, you, you can have my daughter in marriage now because there was clear. And then listen to the way this thing kind of plays out in the book of First Samuel chapter 18, 23. It says that when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter, Michal, loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was more successful against them than all of the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. Saul was jealous. Oh, he did not like David. He was out to get him. He didn't care for him. He wanted to kill him. In fact, there were times that he threw a spear at him and he barely escaped. And there were other times when Saul literally sent soldiers in to kill David. Now, I don't know what the relationship you all have with your father-in-law, but I'm sure it wasn't that contentious that your father-in-law was sending soldiers to you to find you in order to kill you. At least I hope that's not the case for you. But the relationship with David's in-laws was very, uh, it was very contentious. It was very contentious. And um, uh, McCall, um, uh, or that Saul, Saul sends soldiers to kill uh, David. Now McCall loves David. And so McCall goes and tells David, my dad is sending soldiers to kill you. And so I want you, David, and you climb out the window and you escape the palace because they were living in, in Dad's palace, Saul's palace. And, uh, and so what McCall decides to do is she says, the soldiers are going to come here. And she literally gets the fashions up a dummy and takes an idol and puts it down in, in the bed and covers it up. And then she gets a wig and she kind of puts it down there. And so it looks like uh, David is asleep and the soldiers show up and to attack and to kill uh, David. You can read the story. It's all there. But an attack and kill David. And they find this dummy there. And all of a sudden, uh, David has escaped. David has escaped and he doesn't. And then Saul, boy, he finds that out too. And then listen to what takes place. Okay. First Samuel chapter 19, verse 17, it says, uh, here's Saul talking to his daughter. He says, why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy escape? Saul demanded of McCall. And she said, I had to, McCall replied. He threatened to kill me if I didn't help him. Okay, here's, here's the question. Why didn't McCall go with David? 
he doesn't like you, but I know you've never done anything wrong. I know that soldiers are coming at my dad's command, and but I'm going to stay here in the palace, and you go out the window. Is it possible that she was very comfortable being the daughter of the king? That she uh, found it, you know, there was a lot of honor in being the daughter of the king. There were certain advantages. Her dad could do a lot for her. And, and so it's kind of better to be a princess than it was to be, uh, you know, to run off with her husband. And maybe she should have went off with David, but she chose not to go off with David. And she stays back in the palace. Well, as you continue to read through Scripture, and this is first David's first wife, and uh, eventually we know that Saul dies, and if you know your Bible history at all, you know that David becomes the king, and then uh, David, uh, uh, he kind of has a palace that he is living in now, and uh, Saul is gone, and he's in charge of everything, and uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant, remember the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant used to travel in the tabernacle when they were in the wilderness, and that's the thing from Indiana Jones, right? And, and that's where God lived. And, and uh, the tabernacle was not residing in the city of Jerusalem at the time. It was living in another place. And, and King David, when he became king, he, he called out for his people to bring one of the priests to bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And it was a celebratory day when the Ark of the Covenant comes into Jerusalem. And so uh, David is out there and he is celebrating because the, uh, literally uh, they would have seen it as the presence of God amongst them. This is a tremendous victory for the nation of Israel because they were the nation of Israel, the, the world superpower because of the power of God. And so as the Ark of the Covenant is making their way into the community, uh, David is throwing this big celebration and he's out there dancing and celebrating and all of these things are, are going on. Meanwhile, McCall is watching all of this take place from afar. We read about it in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. It says, But the ark of the Lord, uh, as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. Well, she's up in the palace again. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. Same question. She's up in the palace looking down at David while he is right front and center worshiping God and praising God that God is appearing in the Ark of the Covenant before them. Why aren't they together worshiping together? In fact, listen to what plays out here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 23. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looks today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michal, I was dancing before the Lord. And then he kind of pushes back really hard here, kind of. Right? He says, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and above his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord. So I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. 
They started out so strong. The daughter of the king. The king is pleased. They're happily uh, married. Everything is going to go forever and ever and ever wonderful. But clearly, over time, they grew apart. There were some things that entered in and pulled them apart. And so, uh, why is that? How does that happen? Write this down in your bulletin. Your spouse should be your priority, always. Isn't that the case? I mean, no one ever stands up there and makes vows, makes their vows on their wedding day, uh, thinking that this is going to end as a train wreck. Nobody ever says that when they're making their vows to one another. Everybody always thinks this is always going to be a wonderful and good forever and ever, but something gets in there. Your spouse is supposed to be your priority, supposed to be your closest friend, the most important person in your life. And they're supposed to be the person that you most want to please and the most uh, person that you want to uh, share your entire uh, life with. They, they, your spouse is supposed to be the person that you're even willing to do things for that you really don't even uh, want to do. You ever have to go to your spouse's work party, you know? And you ever have to go to your spouse's Christmas party or whatever and then all these people that they know and are good friends with but you don't know him and you got to go and do it because it's your spouse, right? And there's times when you got to clean up the house even though you don't feel like cleaning up the house because there's people that are going to be coming over and there's things like that. And I've even heard of some people are willing to take care of a tiny little dog because they love their spouse. I mean, the only reason that my dog is alive is because I love my spouse. And, and, uh, and, and so we do things for our spouse that we might not otherwise, but that's, the, that's supposed to be the priority. Your spouse is supposed to be your priority, right? But if you've been married for any time at all, and as you look around the room, there are some of you have been married for a long, 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 long time. And you know that there are things that can pull at the priority of your spouse. Write this down. I call them priority pullers, right? There are priority pullers. Maybe you remember back in the day, I think right now, about my own daughter, Katie and Lou, just married for a week. My daughter, Katie, she just started a new job this summer, and uh, my son-in-law, Luke, just started a job two weeks ago. In fact, in two weeks, uh, he's supposed to be flying to Germany for two or three weeks in order to do a training over in Germany for his new uh, job. But the job, the, the dream job, the dream job can become the priority puller, right? Uh, when you when your work can get in there and you get so engaged and involved and it can become sort of all-consuming and and uh, Dr. Gary Rosberg he's um, uh, he's the founder of a thing called America's Family Coaches and he's wrote a bunch of books about uh, marriage and family and stuff like that and he says uh, that a lot of times what takes place when it comes to the dream job is that uh, all of us are kind of walking around and we carry two big swords with us and we have this big uh, silver sword and and we, uh, we take it out in the workplace and we like to uh, yield the big silver sword and, and we want to conquer in, in the workplace and we want to have victory in the workplace and we want to uh, take new heights in the workplace. We want everybody to know we're a leader in the workplace. So we go into the workplace and we, uh, we just want to go for it with everything that we have in the workplace. We want to be seen as a dominant leader in the workplace. The problem is, is that when we come home, nobody really cares. And we want to come home and we want to pull out that silver sword and yield it around and look good. And uh, Gary Rosberg says the best thing we can do when we get home from work 
put the silver sword away, and then reach over and pull out the golden sword that represents your family and to fight for your family, to protect and defend your family, and to be a warrior for your family. And that's a beautiful picture. Because so many times, that's just too true. And the dream job becomes a priority always. Well, sometimes we uh, outgrow the dream job and we sort of uh, start off that way, but then it's something that uh, my own son, I, I kind of I think about them and I'm tender uh, towards them right now because we remember um, having that first child. And so your own children, your own children can become a priority puller. Our uh, son uh, and his wife have given us, you know, Cooper, our first grandchild. He's only four and a half months years old, but uh, the truth is that, that children can come in and they can be a wedge in a, in a relationship. And then you kind of go through these little battles about how exactly are we going to uh, parent and you kind of wrestle about that. How are you going to discipline? How are you going to raise your kids? And you can kind of push and pull and, and kids, you know, we all know that um, uh, if you want your child's, you know, your toddler's attention, right, how do you get your toddler's attention? They might be over there on the couch or doing something. All you got to do is go over there and give mommy a big hug or give daddy a big hug and then all of a sudden the toddler runs over and they're in there in between your legs trying to push apart, right? And that happens. You see, uh, that's kind of, and kids come in and, and all of a sudden uh, you want to uh, please your kids and, and some one of them wants to dominate, you know, uh, to discipline very strict and the other one's like oh just let it go and then the tension kind of goes in there and even our kids our offspring can become a priority puller, puller. the priority is to be your spouse right then the kids grow up and move out of the house and nobody likes to admit this myself included because the other priority puller is simply me I I want what I want, and I'm not so sure I'm interested in what you want. And the priority becomes me, or I. And looking around the room, I know that several of you are guilty of this, and I'm so glad that I've avoided that pitfall. <laughs> Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Me, and I, over spouse, and it erodes, and it digs in, and it hurts. And yet the only thing worse, and King David himself can give testimony to this, the only thing worse than me or I is when it's somebody else, when it's an other. When the spouse is no longer looking at the spouse and looking to somebody else and saying, they get me, they understand me. They seem to understand me better than you do, and you pull away from your spouse, and you go to the other. There's priority pullers, and things that pull apart a marriage. But the biblical model is to be a husband and a wife that would prioritize each other over all others. Think about David and the call and the way they started. I think about Katie and Luke. And Tyler, and Emily, and Karen and I, the way you start when it's just that beautiful wedding setting and it's so exciting, but things come in and they pull. And so we need to all be reminded that we focus well on our spouse. 
is your best strong. Listen to me. Sometimes we look around and we're distracted. And so if someone were to come and look at your calendar and look at your checkbook and do a sort of a flyover and evaluation on your life and who you are and what you are about, what would they say is your priority? Would they say your job is your priority? Would they say that your children are your priority? Would they say you are clearly the priority? What would they say? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 25, it teaches this thing about marriage. Amongst them, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The two of you look to Christ in order to submit yourself to one another. Verse 22, it says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And there's a challenge before you that I would like to put before you. Would you be able to say this sentence to your wife and to yourself this week? This week, no matter what happens, you are going to be the most important person in my life. Can you say that about your spouse? This week, no matter what happens, you are going to be the most important person in my life. There can be a lot of feelings that get stirred up when you read that. But that is the priority that Scripture puts in place. First, to our God, then to our spouse, then to our children, then to others. Now listen, here's the challenge. Try that this week. Then ask them next week, how did it go? And then do this. Next week, say, what is one thing that I can do better to help this relationship? What is one thing? And start small. And identify something. If they ask, then you can say, if you could do this, it would make me feel more loved and more appreciated. And we have to love sacrificially. We learn to love sacrificially for our mate. God wants us to better understand sacrificial love so we better understand his love for us. God wants us to better understand sacrificial love so that we better understand his love for us. Which leads us now into a time of communion. Here's the truth. Scripture tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. The church, you and I, when Jesus looks down on us, we are his priority. 
And what did he give of himself in order to be united with us as his priority, his church? As the members of his church, we need to understand that Jesus gave his life for us. That we can be connected to him. It is a holy union. It is a holy matrimony. It is entering into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ who has laid down his life for us that we might be connected and united with him. Our challenge is to work things out with each other as spouse and husband and wife, but our priority is to learn how to live for Jesus and let that overflow into the relationship that we have with our spouse. You guys know how we do communion here. The stations are there, and several of you come in, and you pick up your communion when you make your way in, and maybe you have that right now. But I'm going to ask that uh, at this time, as the music is playing, you'll just take some time and focus on what Jesus has done to connect himself to you. And then if so led, maybe 